what coaching is, I don't want it, a lot of coaching is you're watching and you're observing and, and then you're developing. And the great coaches obviously are very active and very involved. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Jesse Cole. How are you? Fantastic, my man. So I just assume the day you're born, you come out, you know, grab a bat, start batting practice, maybe do a little bit of a TikTok dance, like right in the delivery room. That's how it all started, right? <laughs> you know, and then grab the yellow tuxedo. I saw like a yellow towel, turn it into a tuxedo. Yeah, it all fit in right away. Boss baby from the day one. So yeah, so let's take it back. Where are you from? Where are you born? Yeah, uh, I grew up in a little town, uh, situate Massachusetts, 7,000 people in the town, no fast food restaurants, a little tiny coastal town south of Boston. Nice. And no fast food because they didn't allow it or because they just didn't. Yeah, it was, it was like, like a, you know, older historic town. And, you know, I yeah. think they eventually got a Dunkin' Donuts. But uh, yeah, it was very, uh, uh, you know, authentic in the way that the town was presented. I asked because I grew up in a small town. You might know Ojai because of MMT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they, they have the same thing. So there's a ton of fast food on the border of Ojai, but they don't allow them in without full city boat. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what it turned into. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Nothing that's against awesome. it. No. Yeah. It's a, it's great to like, it's such a fun environment to grow up in. All right. And so early on, like, what did your parents do? What were you brought up around? So yeah, my dad worked at a, a company called Bradley's, which was like a Walmart Caldor. It became a billion dollar company. His father started there and then he went up, started as a, just a regular assistant store manager, then climbed. And then he found that I fell in love with baseball. And so he left Bradley's when he was, you know, one of the top leaders at the company to become a partner in a baseball facility, indoor facility, baseball club called the South Shore Baseball Club. He did that for me. So at like wow. nine, ten, he's like, he's like, he loves baseball, Massachusetts. You can't play all the time. So he became a partner in that. And that's really what he started doing, becoming a coach and leading that effort for most of my childhood. Wow. So you really did come from a dad that was supportive and just went, you want baseball? We're going to do baseball. Because like, I always say, like, we've done about 100 of these and everyone's origin story is completely different. Like all these people expect that, like, oh, yeah, for, that's why I joke about it. Day one, that person had like I, Eric was probably a marketer. You were a baseball yeah. player in the delivery room. Like that's what everyone assumes. And it's like most of the time not. But in your case. Like when did you start playing baseball? When did that begin for you? I mean, there's pictures when I was like one year old holding a baseball, but I really started getting yeah. doing it when I was probably four or five. And yep. yeah, that became the sport that I played all the time. And did you excel at it early? Like what drew you to it so much that you loved it so much as a little kid? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I excelled. I practiced all the time. So my, my parents were divorced. You know, my mother had a drug problem. So my dad raised me. And so it was got the it. one bond me and my dad had. You know, my dad would work all day before he even got the job. Uh, with the South Shore Baseball Club, he'd get home at six and we'd go just go outside and start playing catch. And we just wow, played and played. And so he got me throwing when I was very young and doing long toss. So I had I threw harder than most kids in my area. So that that's where I started excelling. My dad, he tells a story about the first time I came up to bat in T-ball and I was scared out of my mind. And it's funny to yeah. see me now, you know, obviously you and me, it's like, oh, we're not scared of anything. We'll take out like I was nervous. I still am to an extent on certain things that I've never done before. And I walked up to the bat and my dad yelled, Jess swing hard in case you hit it. And literally everyone laughs. And I came up to bat and my dad would say that every time, swing hard in case you hit it. And so I learned as a young age to swing harder than I've ever swung in my life. And I swung and missed a lot. But when I made contact, I mean, I started hitting balls over the fence when I was 10 years old and started having a lot of success. And, uh, and that was because of my dad's mindset and his coaching. That's amazing. And did your dad have a baseball background? Like, how did he know just the little tricks? Or was he just 
shooting from the hip. I, I think if I was in my dad's high school, I would have hated him so much because <laughs> I saw his yearbook and he had every superlative. Best all around, nicest, most athletic, uh, best looking, best like. He was every single, like, it was ridiculous. Like, 30 of them, he had 20 of them. Like, he was he was everything in his school, his little town in Old yeah. Saybrook. So he played baseball. He was a star of the baseball team, star of the basketball team, star of the soccer team, star of everything. Yeah. So uh, I got some athletic ability from my dad, I would say. That's amazing. And so at what age did you think, like, maybe I'll play baseball, like, as a career? Oh, well, you know, you grow, you grow up south of Boston and you're watching, you know, I'm watching Roger Clemens and Wade Boggs yeah. and Mo Vaughn and Nomar Garcia Power and Pedro Martinez. Uh, you yeah. know, it's in your blood. You know, you're going to play for the Red Sox. And so yeah. I literally started visualizing the phone call from the Red Sox on draft day as early as probably, geez, when I was 10 years old, 11 years old, and started picturing yeah. that draft, the Red Sox draft. And so that was that was it for me. That was that was everything. That's amazing. And so. What was kind of the progression from there? It sounds like you did well in high school at baseball. Yeah, I was fortunate. I mean, again, Massachusetts, there's not a lot of great baseball. So I stood out. I was throwing 90 miles an hour. So I stood out pretty well. Um, You know, Boston College offered me a scholarship and Northeastern and everyone from up north. But I wanted to go down south. So I was fortunate. uh, Wofford offered the biggest scholarship they've offered any player. And I small division one school, Spartanburg, South Carolina. And so I went down there and I had professional scouts coming to some of my high school games, but it didn't work out. I was still too small and, uh, you know, not comparative to the Texas boys and the California guys. Yeah. I was, it was hard to compete at that level. So I went down and played baseball at Wofford. Nice. And were you still, were your prospects still to go, you know, major league after college? What was the thought there? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, my, you know, usually Eric, most people, the older they get, the better they were. I'm very realistic that, you know, I was, I was, uh, I, I was okay. But yes, I mean, I was Southern Conference Player of the Month. My first month as a freshman, I was a two way guy. I had 42 starts in the mound, never came out of the, uh, never came out of the bullpen. I was starting from day one. And yes, I was getting letters from the Padres, the Braves, the Pirates. Uh, I was getting Christmas cards every Christmas from the New York Mets. So yes, it was it was really cool. Shea Stadium with the snow it was really cool. It was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, so I thought I had that opportunity, and and I was probably on the verge. And then I tore everything in my shoulder my senior year, and that changed everything pretty quickly. How did that happen? Overuse. I threw a hundred yeah. innings as a freshman, so I threw as many innings as probably anyone in the country in my, my freshman year. And then I was also playing. I was hitting too, so I was two way guy. And then I threw in call. I threw in during the summer, so I threw a lot. And uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy in the world. And so uh, that definitely did its damage. And it was, I would say, the best thing that ever happened to me was that injury. And so at the time, like, were you, your plans were, I'm assuming, to, again, to be a professional baseball player. Like, was it like that day? It was just like out the window, like, that's it? Or did you have other plans or backup plans already? Like, how did that hit you at that point? That would have been smart. Backup plans sounds like a good idea. Uh, you know, probably should have gone to college with backup plans and all that. I mean, I literally, I developed my own major at Wofford. There was no, yeah. because I didn't like any major. So I, I became the first ever like leadership major. I studied leadership. There, that wasn't even exist yeah. um, because I, did, I went to school to play ball. So I created yeah. my own major. And uh, so I didn't have yeah. a backup plan. So yeah, very simply, uh, it happened. My dad flew down and we're like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, I guess I'll go into coaching. And I went and coached that summer. And that's where the big ahas came and everything I was doing. So yeah, everyone assumed Jesse would go into coaching baseball. His dad's in baseball. He's been in baseball his whole life. But uh, I learned quickly that wasn't for me either. And you didn't like coaching, you say? No, no. There's a difference. Well, because what <laughs> what coaching is, I don't want to, a lot of coaching is you're watching and you're observing and and then you're developing. And the great coaches obviously are very active and very involved. But my first summer, I was sitting there mostly just watching. And I was in the dugout. And I was like, man, I was on the mound pitching at some of the best players in the country just a couple months ago, now I'm sitting here watching. I was bored out of my mind, Eric. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. 
Um, and so what did you said you had an aha moment? So at that point, what did you think you were going to do? Like, what, what was the next thought? Well, I was sitting in the dugout uh, in the Cape Cod yeah. league in the best, one of the best leagues in the country, the best players, all yeah. these guys went to play major league baseball. Best scene I remember in the house. The, what was his name? Freddie Prince Jr. Movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is a hilarious, uh, joke of what that looked like, but yes, it was, it was made for him and Jessica. <laughs> Beale. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. It was, uh, yeah. One of the guys from like scream and all that era of nineties yeah. fun. But, uh, Exactly. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it was the Cape Cod League and all the best players. Yeah. yeah they got that right in the movie. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I got the best scene in the house with the best players. And I'm actually in it and I'm bored out of my mind. And it was exactly like Walt Disney when he sat at Griffith Park and he watched his daughters, Diane and Sharon, go on the carousel on Saturdays, which was every Saturday was uh, daddy's, daddy's time with the girls. And he said, man, I wish there was a place that adults and kids could have fun together. And it was his origin, which he said, to build Disneyland from just watching that. And I sat wow. in that dog and I said, I wished, I wish you could create something that would make the game fun for everybody. Fun to play, yeah. fun to watch. And it was at that point, I was like, I want to go the other way. I want to start creating something. And, uh, and that's when I took a job with arguably the worst team in the entire country. And which team was that? Uh, the Gastonia Grizzlies in Gastonia, North Carolina. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so did you do that because you knew you had an opportunity to change things or like what drove that job? Because you were still I young, right? Yeah, yes, to an extent. I mean, I didn't get offered many opportunities. I'm a 23-year-old, you know, right. and, and I got offered the opportunity to be a general manager of a team at 23 without, oh, with shit. no pedigree. Yeah. So I yeah. was like, heck yeah, GM, let's do this. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, my pay was uh, $27,000 to run the entire team. And the nice. first day I showed up, there was $268 in the bank account. Uh, we had three full-time employees. Payroll was on Friday. I realized that the team had lost $150,000 the previous year. And I realized that they were only drawing two to 300 fans a game. So it was an adventure, to say the least. Yeah, yeah I, I cover that. I, I, first day I had left over beer from the stadium because I was like, I was like, what did I get myself into? So <laughs> what, is the, uh, what did you end up doing to cover that first payroll? Like, how did you scramble for that? Well, I didn't pay myself for the first three and a half months. I didn't pay myself until mid-December. And so, yes, I, I made it a goal. Can I you know, sell tickets every day? Can I sell sponsorship every day? So I was making 50 to 100 cold calls every single day trying to get out and do something to move the needle. And where'd you learn the cold calling side? Because that's something that a lot of almost everyone avoids. And it takes a certain type of person to lean into that. So how did that come up that you're like, I'm just going to start calling everyone? Uh, that's kind of what we're told. Like in, in sports business, that's kind of like what you're told is to cold call. And so, yeah. Hello, this is Jesse Cole. I'm the new general manager of the Gastonia Grizzlies. I'd love to come by and introduce myself. I'm trying to learn about the community. That was literally my <laughs> opening line, which I said every single time. So when you someone said, you probably opened a lot of doors. Cause like, that's all I want to do. I actually yeah. really like, I needed to learn and, and, and it yeah. opened a lot of doors. But when people said, nope, not interested, I'm like, you don't even want to meet me. Like it was actually like, cause I didn't, I wasn't selling anything, but I got a lot of no's. I got people that hung up constantly. I got people that said, you know, they'll never work with us. It, it was, it was rough. But what I learned is that no one was interested in coming to see our baseball team. Uh -huh. And I learned by that, that we shouldn't be in the baseball business. We should be in the entertainment business. And that, that aha moment for everyone saying they don't want to come see baseball because we're never going to be the best baseball team. We're not going to compete with the Braves and the Red Sox and the Yankees. We're a lower level. I started reading every book from Walt Disney, P.T. Barnum, every book about entertainment possible. I mean, I started studying Grateful Dead and Circus Soleil and Saturday Night Live and you name it. And I was like, how could we bring this to baseball? And that's when we started experimenting. Got it. And so how quick did you see the uptick in that? Like, how long did it take you before you like, what was that first thing that you started using to draw from an entertainment perspective? How did you change things up? Well, I was meeting with a, a, a big manufacturing company. They had a, 
I think five or 600 employees. And so the, the big goal for us was like, could we sell a group outing to get like three, 400 people to come out? That would be a good attendance for us, you know? And uh, so I was meeting with the HR director and she said, you know, we don't like, we don't like baseball. We're not interested. And I said, well, it's not baseball. It's a show. I go, you love it. She goes, well, what do you mean? And just out of my head, I was like, well, what would be the opposite of what baseball players would normally do? And I said, well, our players dance. And she goes, really? And in my mind, I had no clue if they could or if I'd get them to dance or anything. And she goes, really? And I go, yeah, every night they do a different dance. And it's amazing. I go, like That just gives you an example of what yeah. we do. And again, we hadn't done any of that. So I'm talking out of yeah. my, you know, and uh, she's like, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, let me talk to the team. And she's like, all right, we'll do a small outing with just some of our uh, salespeople or whatever. And so she got a small outing to come out and I had to then get our people to dance. So I, I hired a dance instructor before our first practice. I brought them out and I said, we're going to teach these guys how to dance. And the players looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. But that's we amazing. got some to dance and they danced. Well, that's and, the, the right kind of fake it till you make it. You're just like, you want that? Yeah, we got that. Well, you probably want this too. We got it. <laughs> well, you know this, whether marketing and sales, the, the, big, the yeah. biggest, you're in the people business and everything yeah. you do, it's, it's, it's reading. It's like, you know, kind of like a boxing match. Like you're just reading yeah. with one reaction. What do you do here? What are your reactions? So I was just hearing over and over again, over and over again. We don't like baseball. We don't like baseball. Our people wouldn't like baseball. And I was like, what could get more people that don't like baseball come to our shows? And I, I said, I finally started saying, uh, Perfect. Uh, you don't like baseball? You love our shows. And I changed the language. So it was no longer about a game. It was about a show. Yeah. And then that that forced us to have to create that to make it better. And and did the team end up buying in and react? Like, I'm sure some people are like, you want me to do what? But were they still pretty cool about it? Uh, no, most of them not. I mean, because we had improved ourselves. So, you know, right. I, there's baseball guys. And so I think we had yeah. four, four to six guys on the whole team that would actually dance. But they were the yeah. most popular guys. And yeah. they started signing the most autographs. And so from that point on, I took videos and we showed the videos the players dance in. And then all of a sudden that started catching on and you started just showing what we were doing as opposed to trying to sell. We were just showing yeah. it. And then we, you know, we went from two to 300 fans a game to I think 1100 a game that year. So it was a pretty wow. massive, massive growth. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I assume the finances started to be a little okay at that point. Yeah, it's all relative. I I, I laugh at sure. it these days yeah. because of in context of what we're doing with the bananas. But yeah, I yeah. mean it it became a team that uh that was fourth in the country in attendance and probably one of the top five most profitable and highest gross revenue in all of all of college summer ball. So wow, amazing. And so how long that took you years. That was ten years. Ten oh, years. So you were there ten years. Ten years, yes. Yeah. Got it. And why did you leave at that point? What, what, you know, 10 years of growing this and building this. And did you, at that point you were still, they were playing baseball, right? Cause we'll talk more about. Oh yeah. Yeah. Banana. It wasn't banana ball. They were playing, they were playing baseball, but we were doing, I mean, flatulence, fun nights, salute to underwear nights, pregnant nights, giving away colon cleansings, giving away porta johns. I mean, every <laughs> night my goal was to do something that the fans had never seen before. And just to get them to react, like I got to come out. It's you never know what they're going to do. What's that? that has, flexing that creative muscle has to be a blast to running it. Oh, oh yeah. Because like I said, a lot of things that like every night you're doing something that really yeah. could fail. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. I remember we did toilet paper madness night and it was 103 degrees and uh, literally a couple hundred people showed up, but we decked the whole stadium out with toilet paper in retrospect, a ton of waste, but, like we thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. No one showed up or like pregnant night. Like if you were in uh, you and your future kid, you know, it's a two for one. You and your future kid get a, a half price ticket. And then we, if you're in your third trimester, you threw out the first pitch and we had a craving station with peanut butter and pickles. And uh, you know, that, 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 I mean, we did, a, we did a lot of stuff, Eric, and it was, it was, it was fun, but yeah, it, we learned a lot. So yes, after 10 years, Emily, our director of fun, uh, she joined us. And so Emily's my wife and she was working for another minor league team, heard about us 
us doing grandma beauty pageants. Her, her boss actually heard me speak, called her and said, I met the guy you're going to marry. Emily's like, what are you talking about? Crazy. And so Emily's, we just started talking professionally, but we went to a conference together about a year or two years later and we spent the whole conference together and Emily enthusiasm, energy, you know, about like, she's a girl like in a whole industry of guys that she'll wear a hoodie, no put on makeup yet she'll run the table. She'll own the table. And I was like, so drawn at this girl by the confidence of not trying to dress up and doll herself out like everyone out. And so, uh, we, we hit it off. And so she joined us as a director of fun. We couldn't tell anyone we were dating for the first year. That was an Emily yeah. role. She wanted to build her validity and build herself yeah. in the community. And so, yeah, we fell in love. I proposed in front of a, a sold out crowd in Gastonia, 4,000 fans. I invited Fluid out and her family. My family was in town and I stopped the game in the middle of the game, had the ring inside a baseball uh, and got down to a knee and put off a fireworks show in the middle of the game. The umpires and the team's like, what is going on? I'm like, this is our moment. Let it be. And so uh, long story short, after that night, I fell asleep and Emily was still you know, glowing from everything that happened that night. And she planned a trip the next weekend for Savannah, Georgia. She's like, you did this epic proposal, the ring, everything. I want to do something for you. So booked a trip to Savannah, Georgia, went down to Savannah. We knew there was a baseball stadium there. We went in, minor league team was playing the New York Mets affiliate. We walk in, and as you know, the ballpark, if you come in the main entrance, like for a kid coming from an old high school field, like in Gastonia, like that, like never drew, it, it felt like a cathedral to me. I walk in, you could feel the history and Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and FDR. And I walked in, we walked up those steps into the main grandstand and we saw there was less than 200 people in the stadium. We're like, this yeah. is the deadest environment. So at that point, I reached out to the commissioner of our league. I said, if this team ever leaves, we're coming here and we're going. And uh, lo and behold, the team left because they said they couldn't get fan support. We convinced the city of Savannah to give us a lease, give us a shot. And we came in there and then proceeded to oh, fail. So you New brought York. the team from Gastonia to there. We, brought an ex- we bought an expansion team. We thought it was a good decision when Emily and I to get married and then go to seven-figure debt immediately. We thought yeah, that would be a very... Yeah. Smart business decision. So yeah. he went to seven figure debt. Hey, at and- least you get to split it 50 50 than being on your own. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so we, we, uh, we thought that would be a good move. And then we, uh, decided for it to get much worse where then we'd have to sell our house and empty out our savings account. So it was a really smart strategic move in starting that expansion team in 2015. Yeah. 100%. Uh, so it was 2015. So you start this expansion team. And basically, what's your plan to like just redo what you had done in Gastonia and like really like build it, like have bring it fun again and like, do a, lot, a similar play or did you have a whole different picture at that? Yeah. Point? I mean, I think, I think with anything, and you know, this about brands and launching brands, the Gastonia team was, was a team for seven years before I started it. So yeah. it wasn't really relaunching. It was reimagining, but it wasn't relaunching. Right. The idea to start from scratch and to really build it from the get go was something that was very exciting for me and Emily, because, yeah. you know, we were still getting from the stigma of the Gastonia Grizzlies and who they were. Now we could do yeah. something you know, from scratch. So yeah, that was the goal to start something, build our own brand, build a bigger, unique and take it to another level. And uh, we uh, failed pretty miserably trying to uh, trying to fit in because we were too scared to go out big as we were just kids running a baseball team. I mean, our president was 24 years old. We had three 22 year olds on staff. Emily was 28. And I think I just turned 31 when we took over. This is for the bananas. This is in 2015 when we took over the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to start. That's how a lot of the best Biggest companies in the world start with a bunch of 20-something-year-olds trying to figure we were, out. We were kids, yeah, with our, our recent ESPN show, our director of marketing, like the opening credits, like, we're just kids running a baseball team. And, like, that hasn't changed over the last seven years. They were just trying yeah. to create something that we would love ourselves, something that would be fun. Yeah. And so, but we were scared, Eric. When we first showed up, I mean, the former team cut the phone lines. They cut the internet lines. They took everything out of the ballpark. We had nothing. We had nothing. So yeah. I wasn't wearing the yellow tuxedo. I was like, we're the new kids in town. Let's just try to connect and fit in. So we were... You know, doing radio ads and newspaper ads and cold calls and everyone was telling us no. 
everyone. Yeah. We sold two tickets in our first three months. Two. Wow. Two. Um, and every every sponsor said no. I mean, it it was. I mean, we we're getting turned down for. We even had an event at the conference center, and the people putting on the event felt so bad for us. They didn't even charge us for the food and beverage. Like that's how bad it was. Got it. And what was the reason? Why were people so anti? Well, they had professional baseball for 90 years where this thing coming in, like at that point, you know, now we're professional, obviously, but back then we were just college summer baseball team. We hadn't proven ourselves. We didn't have a track record. You couldn't say we were the New York Mets or the San Diego Padres or the Braves. We were just these new kids in town. And why would they give us a shot? They lost professional baseball. Yeah, got it. So when was the sort of tipping point for that? At what point did you start to make some progress on it? Well, the, the tipping point in the bad direction was January 15, 2016. That's when we got the phone call that we overdrafted our account and we were completely out of money. And so at that point, that's when Emily and I had to sell our dream house that we had in Charlotte next to our team in Gastonia. We emptied our savings account and we found a dump and got an airbed, a twin airbed, which Emily, I was like, you could at least got a queen airbed. Like it was a twin airbed for two people, which is just a disaster. Yeah. And so she got the airbed and we were literally grocery shopping, Eric, which is $30 a week. That's all we had for food. Like that's all wow. the money we had for food, which $30, even at Walmart, like you're not getting much real food. Like it was things in box that I can't even like look at anymore. So anyways, that's how bad it was. And so we knew we had to do something big and dramatic. We, no one cared. And so we had to get their attention. And so when we didn't name the team contest, I asked everyone, we wanted something bizarre, crazy, outrageous, unique, different. And we got 999 normal names and except for one. And it was the bananas. And at that point, I, I thought, wow, this is going to get a lot of criticism, but this could be fun. We could have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. You know, we could name our mascot Split. We could do Go Bananas. We could have banana drinks and banana food items. And this brand could keep extending, but it's going to get attention. And I don't know if it's going to be all great attention. People are going to say, you named a baseball team after a fruit. And so we decided to go with it. And we invested in a logo, which everyone on my team thought I was crazy because we didn't have any money. So we had to just take out another credit card to do it. I was like, guys, we need to make this brand something special. And like, we don't have the money, Jesse. And I'm like, I negotiated them down. And they're like, it's thousands of dollars. I'm like, we have to do this right. And so we invested in it, got the logo that we all loved and came out on February 25th and announced it. And everything changed on that. Really? So like, what happened? The good or the bad or both? Both. I want it all. All right, well, let's start with the good. That's always good to start an optimistic side. So uh, yeah. it went out and immediately it was number one trending on Twitter. Like the Savannah Bananas were trending ahead of, there was a Republican debate back then on that day. And it was trending above everything else. Uh, national media was jumping on it. It was on SportsCenter for 15 minutes. The logo was just staying on SportsCenter, called it logo of the year. Uh, national attention, we were, it was as good as it could get. The bad. Yeah. Um, well, we never did merchandise like that. So because like we did nothing in Gastonia. So our first shipment of t-shirts came in. There were too many N's in bananas. We actually misspelled bananas. So those shirts didn't work out. Then we were charging $5 in shipping. Now, which is ironic, we do free shipping on everything. But we were doing hundreds of orders like all over the world, international. And so we were charging $5. So we were literally losing more than what they were paying to ship to Australia. And so that was a disaster. Locally, whoever came with his name should be fired. The owner should be thrown out of town. You guys are embarrassment to this city. We literally, for the week after, when we walked around, if we had bananas gear, people would roll down their windows and boo at us. Or we were walking down the street, people were yeah. booing at us in Savannah. Like there was a, a St. Patrick's Day parade like the next month. And literally, we were walking like all bananas and people were yelling at us and heckling us. We were just people wearing the logos. We were getting heckled. Like that's how bad it was. But everyone yeah. knew about us for the first time in Savannah. Everyone knew about us. Yeah. And so then we had a strategic goal to say, we're going to announce a sellout. They've never sold out that stadium. And so this yeah. is a fun story, Eric, that not many people know. So we announced a sellout right after that. And the yeah. city was like, no way. You know, the former team drew 300 fans. 
And I was like, we're sold out, guys. And box seats are going to go. And we're announcing it. And like, people are like, oh, my goodness. People are actually coming to going to come to these games. So you want to know how we sold out? We convinced the hospital to buy over 3,000 tickets for one game. <laughs> so they bought 3,000 tickets for one game. We combined that with our season ticket holders and the other tickets we sold. You know, June yeah. 25th, yeah. already sold out, baby. It's gone. Yeah, yeah good luck yeah. on getting the other games. So then we yeah. created this demand cycle yeah. that maybe people are going to give this a shot. And then opening night sells out. And then it kept going. And then they saw everything we put in the experience. And that kind of how, uh, how it all started. That's amazing. And so when does the season start? Because you did this end of May. End of May is when we well, okay, when so, we used to open. Now we play year round. Paddy's Day, etc. So a couple months later, season started, and yep. yeah, that's incredible. You guys really put it together. So from then on, like I mean, you guys got close to sold out in that first year, then, right? Yeah, opening night sold out, even though we were wearing green uniforms because we weren't quite ripe, and we uh, actually like literally had six errors and played terrible. But they watched the experience. They watched the players deliver roses to little girls during the game. They watched the dancing players. They watched the banana pep band and the banana baby that we lift up in the air, and they they started telling everyone. And so at that point, we stopped spending any marketing dollars. So I think we sold yeah. eighteen of twenty five games out that year, and then wow. since that point, uh, we've sold out every single game. So it's over two hundred and. We just had to actually stop our wait list at now on our world tour. We're over 225,000 people on the wait list. So we had to stop it because it's a lot of people just when aren't going to be able to. I saw you in July, it was 70,000, right? Yeah, it's, it's, so uh, it's over months, you've tripled your wait list, which how many seats are in the stadium? You told me that. Well, again, this is, this is, this is a list for all over the country. So now we're doing 10,000, oh, okay. 15,000 seat stadiums. But yeah, I mean, again, someone's sleeping on the airbed and struggle. I mean, we're growing 50 to 100,000 followers every single week. Uh, and that's not yeah. changing. Our season's been over for months. So someone said the other day, you're like the fastest growing sports team in the country. I'm like, I don't pay attention to that stuff. But, yeah. you know, you're trying to create fans. That's all we do. We don't try to yeah. market. We don't try to sell. We don't try to promote. We just try to share the fun. And it's you it's said working. it's an entertainment company, not a baseball team. It's like a lot of how you thought about it back in the last team. It's great. Yes. Yeah. Now, now it's just expanded. We've learned a lot on how to really pump the uh, gas on and showing what works and what doesn't work. And a lot doesn't work. We do 10 to 15 things every single night at our ballpark that, yeah. uh, that we've never done before. And nine to 12 of them like fail miserably, like the living pinata. Like, I mean, we do a lot that just don't work, um, but some do. Yeah, you did. I remember you did. When I was there, you did a baby race and the babies were not into it, but it, it, they it didn't was, move it was at all. Awesome. I mean, it was the, it was literally the world's slowest race because there was no yeah. movement. Yeah, just kind of sat there, but it was good. And so at what stage you so you start selling out the stadium, it takes off and you but you and you had that a little bit in, in North Carolina, too, yeah. right? Yeah, just at yeah. a much smaller degree. Yeah, right. But you, you, you that wasn't that new. You just did it yourself for the team you owned, which I get is a lot to celebrate. But at yeah. that point, when did you start thinking what's next? Because you seem like that I'm the same way. Like, when did you start thinking, like, what do we do from here? We've now sold out this stadium. What's the next step? Yeah, well, you watch our fans. So like everything that we do, and, you know, I, I believe in it so much. Everyone talks about chasing customers and driving sales and driving revenue. We don't talk about sales, revenue, or profit. We only talk about creating fans. I mean, that's the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. That's why we wrote the book, Fans First. Everything is about creating fans. And so yeah. literally uh, everything we do is look at the starting point of all innovation. And I believe the starting point of all um, opportunities to create fans is look at what are the friction points and the frustration points for your customer at every aspect of the experience. And so for us, we just realized that, you know, baseball was too long, too slow, too boring. So we made it exciting. All right, you get nickel and dime. So we made all of our tickets all inclusive in Savannah. Probably saw that you can't come to Savannah without getting all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert. We eliminated all advertising from our stadium, which is completely contrary to everyone else and probably a terrible business move in the short term, but in the long term it works. So we eliminated all that. But then we kept realizing 
that fans, even though every game sold out and there's scalpers outside the games, on a regular traditional game, fans were still leaving early. And we don't survey our fans. Eric, I'm uh, similar to Jobs and Henry Ford on this month. Like, we don't believe in surveys. You ask people yep. what they want, they said faster horses, but we watch our fans. I agree with that, too. Yeah, well, you can see, I mean, watch what they do. Don't ask. It's a completely biased opinion. It's a much smaller yeah. sample size. Sample. So anyways, yeah. we're watching our fans, Eric, and they're leaving games early. And, you know, 9 o'clock, 9.30, and we're like, no matter what, we can put a huge finale, fireworks, yeah. giveaways, they still yeah. leave early. I'm like, baseball is too long. In Major League games for seven straight years, we're getting longer and longer. Major League Baseball lost 15 million fans in the last 15 years. That's a real oh, yeah. stat. Lost 15 yeah. million. So I'm like, it's the game's too long. So we said, well, what if we developed a different game? And so the what's next is we developed Banana Ball. And we said we looked at every friction point and boring part of a baseball game and do the exact opposite. And that's our framework on everything. Whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So long story short, we developed a two-hour game. Every inning counts. So if you win the inning, you get a point. So it's like match play. Batters can't step out of the batter's box. It's a strike if you step out. Uh, there's no bunting because bunting sucks. If you bunt, you're thrown out of the game. As simple as that. Uh, you can steal first. Uh, there's no mound visits. And uh, if fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. And like, it's a crazy role. We also have no walks and there's showdowns at the end, one-on-one pitcher versus hitter in one fielder instead of uh, like, it's like a penalty kick instead of just playing more baseball. So we developed nine rules and we started testing. And we tested it first on a one city world tour because that's another test. Instead of doing a big world tour, do a one city. And that sold 7,000 tickets and 98% of our fans stayed till the end of the game. So then we expanded to seven cities and now we're expanding to 33 cities and, uh, it's crazy. I mean, we're we're so fortunate. We're talking to major league teams. Uh, we're working on. So you guys are playing like major league teams are challenging you guys to banana ball, right? Uh, we're getting calls from major league teams wanting us to bring banana ball to their stadiums. Um, we're playing independent yeah. professional teams that we're playing right now, and uh, nice. yeah, I mean, there'll be some other major league players. We've had a lot of major league players join us now just to have fun, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it's uh, oh, we'll come out and like play a game with you guys. Oh yeah, we so Papelbon pitched our last game. John the Papelbon, the rest was pitching for us. Josh Reddick hit a home run in the game before. Eric Burns is our manager. Jake Peavy, Cy Young Award winner, pitched with his gold glove. Uh, you know, crazy. Johnny Gomes, World Series champion, hitting with his World Series rings. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. been it's been bizarre. You mentioned Mo Vaughn. You had him down yet? Uh, I haven't talked to him. Jeez, Mo Vaughn. I, 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 we I actually work with him. That's why I've known Mo for a while. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah. He was fun to watch back in the day. But, man, he's uh, maybe a little out of his prime right now. <laughs> It'd still be fun. <laughs> That's awesome. And so a couple more questions for you. Number one, what's next? I mean, obviously expansion, but like, do you have some stuff cooking that you think like what's coming down the pike? Yeah, well, I think you can learn a lot from history. And I think you can learn a lot from, um, you know, looking at some of the greatest innovators and what they've done. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm literally watching Walt Disney uh, and it's crazy. Like, you know, he's been gone for 60 years. But it's pretty obvious what he did. He found this opportunity, then moved to this, then moved to this. And so, yeah, do I think about the idea of creating a banana land, um, you know, which is the most fun, entertaining baseball facility in the world? Um, do yeah. I think about, you know, I watch what happened to the Globetrotters. And it's so interesting, Eric, just quickly, the history of the Globetrotters. You know, in yeah. the 1940s and 50s and 60s, they were the most popular sports team in the world. And so what does that look like? They sold 75,000 tickets to a game in Berlin. They would sell out Madison Square Garden twice in one day. The NBA would book them to play so they could actually get people to stay for the NBA games. The Globetrotters beat the Lakers where they had George Mikan. Will Chamberlain uh, chose to play for the Globetrotters instead of playing in the NBA at first. He signed with the Globetrotters first and played a year traveling the world. The Globetrotters had TV shows and two, three movies. They were everything. They changed the game of basketball. Basketball. They brought the three-point line and they brought dribbling through the – uh, legs. They brought the dunks. Then the NBA took all that and made it even better. 
and players started going for the NBA. There was more money, more TV rights, more opportunities. And the Globetrotters developed their show, but they kept doing the same show over and over and over again. And here comes the confetti. Here comes the trick shot. And so I, my biggest fear is becoming the Globetrotters. And people say, you guys are the Globetrotters of baseball. You're doing it. That's actually a fear. I would love what they were in the 40s and 50s and 60s. But when I think about what's next is how do you create something bigger? Is it a league that's the most fun, entertaining, and competitive? Is it a new level of baseball? Is it what the UFC is to boxing? Yeah. You know, those are things I think about. So we're testing all. Just look. I mean, we're playing 11 challengers this year. We're going to announce a big tournament and and a little later. Well, I just, I guess I just did. We got a lot of things that we're going to be announcing. This one air for a couple months. You're good. Yeah. We got a lot of things that we test for experiments. And so that's it. You test experiments and what's next. But I think everyone that looks 5, 10, 25 years, I mean, yes, I'm not focused on the next quarter. I'm focused on the next quarter century. So I'm trying to experiment with everything that we can now to not only stay relevant, but create something that drives a future generation of kids to want to have more fun playing baseball. And that's how I started. That's how our players started. That's what we're going to try to create. Awesome. Uh, well, last question for you. As someone that literally gave up their dream house to go pursue this, what is your advice to someone that wants to pursue their dream, whatever that might be? What's something that you either did hear, wish you heard that, you know, is you don't think commonly is talked about when it comes to like pursuing whatever dream that might be? <laughs> you know, I, I look back to some baseball statistics and there's you know one player, you might know this, who has the more hit, most hits in Major League Baseball history. You remember who that is? No. Most hits in Major League history is Pete Rose. All right. Oh, He's got okay. over 4,000 hits, but he also had 14,000 at-bats. He had 2,000 more at-bats than anyone that ever came up to bat. And then I ask the question often when I, I say, well, do you know who failed most in Major League Baseball? Who struck out more than anyone else that ever played the game? Some people say Pete, Pete Rose. They say Babe Ruth. Who were you going to say? I was going to say Pete Rose. I would be amazing. Rose, yeah, he's it. No, and because he's not known for his strikeouts. He's known for his three home runs in Game 6 of the 1977 World Series. He's known as Mr. October. He's a Hall of Famer. It's Reggie Jackson. My point is no one remembers the failures. We remember the hits. And so my advice is to keep coming up to bat, to get more at bats, and then keep swinging. And as my dad said, swing hard in case you hit it. Because we've failed more than anyone else in sports in baseball over the last 15 years. But they don't remember the failures. They remember the hits. And the only way you get more hits is if you keep coming up to bat swinging. So that is my advice for anybody because it's what we've learned more than anything. Funny enough, my dad, who was a baseball player growing up, used to tell me just swing the bat. Like that was his life. His life advice was swing the bat. Yeah. One of the biggest reasons why I developed the rule, we developed the rule is no bunting (laughs) is because of that. Come up. I mean, bunting is an okay part of the game, but we say, no, come up and swing the bat. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Jesse, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.